Job, the man who has had everything, uh, is staring at the smoldering ruins of his life. In less time than it would take for somebody to go to the store and back, he has lost everything that's been that important to him, everything that he owned. His cattle, his livestock, all of his holdings, all of his servants, they're all gone. And before he can even comprehend what has happened to him materially, he gets the word also that his children and his spouses have been killed in a natural disaster, probably a tornado. There are few, if any, on earth who could endure what he's had to handle, uh, this news that he's received from this servant. And I think it's the question we need to ask that we're going to ask ourselves as we go through this study together. How would I have handled that news? I mean, put yourself in Job's place just for a second if you can. And certainly it's not possible to totally do that. What would my reaction have been if this had all happened to me? How would I have responded if I found in a matter of minutes everything that I owned, everything that meant anything to me was dissolved, it's gone, it simply disappeared? You see, again, Job was a human like you and I. There was nothing superhuman about Job. He was just an ordinary person. And we said this more than once now. He was a real person who went, truly went through everything that we see here in the book of Job. This all happened. And Job never realized what was going on in heaven as this all was occurring. And that brings us to something that I want to remind you of again. Aside from the many, uh, what the many of the commentators say about the book of Job, this book does not answer the question, why do things happen to good people? God does not answer that question. Often good people never understand why they have gone through difficult times. I'm sure some of you have gone through difficult times in your life, maybe even years ago, maybe right now, but you have no idea why it occurred or why it's occurring. No idea whatsoever. In the same way, Job never truly understood the full reason why God allowed this to happen to, it, to him, why these terrible things occurred in his life. There are questions that will never be answered, answered this side of heaven. We just have to wait till we get on the other side. And by the way, my guess is once you get over there, it's not going to matter. <laughs> it's just not going to matter. Uh, that's what, how Job's life was. Uh, this book was written, I believe, to teach us that when calamity comes, we don't have to answer the why. Rather, we need to know how to go through it. How do we survive a calamity when it does come? And this chapter in particular is designed to show us how to respond when life falls apart. The title of our message this morning, When Life Falls Apart. Now, from the previous message in chapter 1, we may think that Job has suffered all that he can take. I mean, surely he has reached the limits of his endurance. There's nothing more that can happen to him. But then round 2 begins. Uh, Matt read it for you this morning. Uh, this chapter begins as chapter 1 did. We're permitted to listen to a dialogue that occurs between God and the devil. So we'll begin this morning by looking at the continued dialogue. The continued dialogue between God and Satan. Look at verses 1 through 3 again. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God, and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him, to destroy him without cause. Now, we've seen this scene before. Chapter 1, just as in chapter 1, there's a conversation that takes place. And please notice again, God brings up Job's name. Satan does not bring Job up. God brings Job up. And in the middle of verse 3, something new comes up. Look at the middle of verse 3 again. He says, hey, Satan, have you seen what Job, how Job has handled this difficulty? Uh, still he holdeth fast his integrity, it says, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Have you noticed, Satan, how Job is handling the calamity? 
It's almost rhetorical because Satan surely has seen how Job is handling this thing. Job has not fallen as Satan predicted. He has not cursed God to his face as Satan thought that he would. And it's going to be clear as we go through this, Satan is not pleased by that whatsoever. By, there's two words in that verse I want you to take note of this morning. The last two words of verse 3, notice those two words, without cause. Without cause. Now, there are two things that little phrase makes us aware of. First of all, we see that there was nothing in Job's life that brought about this calamity. Uh, Job was not being dealt with some particular sin in his life, and that's why God brought this problem upon him. Uh, we understand even more so that the, his friends thought that. As we see his friends speak in the next chapters, we're going to realize they thought he had a sin, and that's why this thing happened to him. Uh, that does not mean, however, that Job couldn't benefit from this trial in his spiritual walk. We all can. We can all gain from dealing with difficulty and seeing God's faithfulness as we go through it. What God is saying, however, is there's no specific sin in Job's life that brought about this trial, but that brought about this difficulty. He is not being chastised in some way or being corrected in some way. We find that little phrase, without cause, used several times in the Word of God. I want to take you to John 15. Don't turn there, but I want to refer you to that. Uh, Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples about what's going to happen to him in the near future. He's going to be taken captive and nailed to a cross. And he applies an Old Testament prophecy that's found several places in the book of Psalms. He says this in Job 15:25. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me, Without a cause. The Lord Jesus Christ was hated with no cause whatsoever. He uses the words from Psalm 35 or Psalm 69 or Psalm 109. All those passages use that phrase without cause. All of them point to a future Messiah who would come and be hated without a cause for no reason. But these words are also used in context by a lost man, a lost man as well. Pontius Pilate examples, uh, examines the Lord. And three times, he comes back with the same pronouncement. I find no fault in him. There's no reason to do this to him. There's no cause to be persecuting him like you are. Now, don't miss the significance of this. God is the author of every book in the Bible. Every person that contributed to this book was inspired by God to write what they wrote. Every word placed in this book is exactly there because God wanted it there, was carefully measured by God as he put those words in. The words you hold in your hand this morning, that book you hold is the very words of God that he wanted you to have. Every word is what God wanted for you to have. And those words without cause are placed there in chapter 2 and verse 3 of the book of Job as a direct reference to the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. We mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, he is one of the types, Job is one of the types of Jesus Christ suffering uh, through the cross and all that he went through. So consider the fact that over 2,000 years after Job's trial, Satan again is going to attack one of God's chosen, Jesus Christ. He'd be hanging on a cross, and just as he did with Job, Satan would be giving it his best shot. The devil would be doing everything in his power to cause the sinless Son of God to curse his father and give up the fight. And Satan would be no more successful the second time than he was the first time. So if one, if one time wasn't bad enough, God challenges Satan again with his servant Job. And the last time, just as we saw this last time, rather, in the same way, Satan has a ready answer for what God presents. Uh, now, notice again, Satan is in the presence of God. He has no difficulty whatsoever standing up to God in this challenge. Notice, if you would, Satan is so prideful. Satan is so self-confident. He has no trouble whatsoever contradicting what God has just said. 
That's the adversary you face this morning, folks. He does not back down. He'll keep coming at you and at you and at you. That's just how he operates to try and tear you down and ruin you. Now look at verse 4. So God says, have you noticed my servant Job? And Satan says, and Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth now thine hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. What's Satan saying? You just haven't given him enough yet. Give him a little bit more and you'll watch him fall just like I predicted that he would. You see, what Satan says is, uh, very bitterly, very attacking, what he says is, if you put your hand on his flesh, you'll destroy him. Now, in most cases, folks, that's true. Human beings can take a lot. But history shows us that when a person's body is attacked, when their flesh becomes a target, when the pain level becomes intolerable, most people will do anything, betray their country, betray their colleagues, even curse God just to gain relief. We read about the martyrs in the early days of the church. We can read of men and women who were tortured and who were placed under tremendous pain because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And in spite of it all, they didn't renounce their faith. Sadly, for everyone who did that, there are dozens who caved and renounced Jesus Christ because they simply couldn't take the pain that they were putting, being put through. And so that's what Satan is saying here is accurate. He is working from a solid premise, humanly speaking, as he responds to God's challenge. And I want you to see the Lord's response in verse 6. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. Now, those words, Behold, he is in thine hand, send chills up my spine. What God has just said is, I'm going to put my servant in your hand. Satan, you got him. Whatever you want to do, he's yours. That is a scary thought. That is a profound thought. He is in Satan's hand. And that is what the exchange is all about. You see, what Satan wants Job to do is curse God. That's the goal. That's the end game. And Satan believes that if I have a hold of him and I can touch his flesh, it's going to happen just like I want it to. Now, what I find so interesting about this is God believes the exact opposite. God totally disbelieves that. God has such confidence in Job that he says to Satan, do anything that you want to him. He is fully in your hands. Just don't kill him. And Satan, Job may rather that that would have been the case. <laughs> now, with all this going on here, there's a truth that we don't want to miss. And it goes back to those two words, without a cause. It's very important for us to realize that there are things that are going to happen in our lives without a cause. There are times we'll go through trials and difficulties, and the only reason we go through those things, the only reason they occur, is because God has given Satan the permission to attack us so God can try our faith and strengthen us. And we look for reasons if we choose to, but oftentimes we won't find any reason for it. Now, what is the biblical way to respond when those things happen? How should we as believers respond when those kinds of things occur? Well, the proper biblical response to suffering is something we considered when we went through the book of 1 Peter uh, a few months ago. I'd like you to hold your hand there in Job, if you would, and go to 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to remind you of some things we talked about back when we went through that series in the book of 1 Peter. I want you to look at verse, uh, Peter 2 and begin reading in verse 20. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. And these are not uh, in necessarily encouraging words, folks, but they're instructional words that we need to hear. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 20. For what glory is it, if when you be buffeted for your faults, you, take, you shall take it patiently? 
But if, when you do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. The first thing we do when trials come is check to make sure we are suffering without cause. That's the first thing you check. Because you see, folks, there are times we will suffer as a consequence for our own sin. Uh, there, are, there are going to be natural negative consequences that occur as we make sinful choices. Or God may bring some consequence into your life because of some sinful choice that you made and to purify that sin from you. And so what Peter talks to us about here, he says when you suffer, when you're doing good, even when sin is not the problem, there is still suffering that goes on. And Peter puts a great deal of emphasis on what we do with our mouths during that time. We need to be sure in the midst of our trial, we keep our mouths free from sin. You see, we saw the correct response back in Job chapter 1 and verse 22. The Bible tells us there, Job did not charge God foolishly. He didn't say something stupid. That's my interpretation of that. He didn't say anything dumb when he went through this thing. We can ruin God's work during the time of our testing by saying things that are foolish, that blame God or attack him for what he has allowed. And when we do that, we are reacting like somebody who has no faith. We are reacting like somebody who is unaware that there is a God who controls all things and allows all things to occur. I'm afraid sometimes believers handle trials like the unsaved would, rather than like, that, rather than like those who know that there is a God in heaven, an omnipotent God who has control over all things. But notice also the second response Peter gives us when trials come. He says we are to do as Christ did and commit ourselves to him that judgeth righteously. Now hear me, folks. You will never handle trial well unless you believe 100% that God always does the right thing. If you don't believe that, you're going to struggle with your trial. You've got to believe that God always does the right thing. No matter what comes into our lives, God, if God is truly all-powerful, and he of course is, then nothing comes into your life without his stamp of approval. He allowed that thing to occur. And our response to trial, we may say, I don't deserve this, but that really isn't the point. Whether we deserve the trial or not, God has ordained that trial to occur, and God has allowed that trial to happen. No matter what comes into our lives, God's in control of it. And we must be convinced of God's righteousness, that what he does is always right, even if we have no clue why he is allowing these things into our lives. So back to the theme of the book again. The why is not the issue. The how is the issue. What we do, what we do with our trial, how we respond to that trial, is going to determine whether or not we learn from that. How we respond to it will determine whether or not God gets the glory from it, or whether it's a wasted trial in our lives. All right, go back to Job now, if you would. And as you'll see as we go through this book, Job handles this trial for the most part, just as Peter prescribes that we should. Next, I want you to see the concentrated attack. The concentrated attack. Look at verse 7. So went forth Job, so went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took himself a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Satan walks out of that place armed with God's permission. Do anything you want, just don't kill him. 
And so Satan walks into that place. Job has lost his wealth. Job has lost his children. Job has lost his health. Job has lost it all. Satan now launches his attack on Job's body. And God has allowed all of it. It was within God's permission for him to do that. And so the Bible tells us here that from head to foot, Job is covered with boils. Now, of course, don't miss the tribulation connection here. That goes along with uh, Job's trial because the book of Revelation tells us that during the time of the great tribulation, angels are going to come and pour vials of plagues onto the earth. Revelation 16, 2, And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. That angel is going to pour out that vial, and there's going to be sores over the bodies of all those who took the mark of the beast. Can you imagine that day what that's going to be like? That's exactly what Job is going through right now. That is part of the judgment that God will put on those who follow the Antichrist. They're going to be plagued with sores, just as Job rather here is plagued with sores. Now, Job has lost his family. He's lost his wealth. He's lost all of his holdings. And now he's got boils from head to feet, foot. Can you imagine anybody being more miserable than Job? I mean, this fellow has lost all of it, and now he's got these boils on him. The pain will not go away. And so Job sits down in the ashes and finds a piece of pottery and begins to scrape these oozing sores on his body with his broken pottery that he finds laying in the dirt. Here is one of the greatest men of the East, the Bible tells us. He has been reduced to ashes through no fault of his own whatsoever. It's hard to believe this is the same fellow we read about back in Job chapter 1 and verse 3. Now, over the years, you may have heard a TV preacher or a radio preacher make the claim that all sickness that occurs in life is because of sin. There are those who preach that. They proclaim that if a person is not well, it is due to some sin in their life. And that if a person keeps themselves from sin and does what God wants them to, they will never be sick. Now, at the risk of confusing with the facts, those who teach or believe this, the Bible is clear in telling us that all sickness is not because of sin. Satan attacked Job's body. Job was as sick as any person on earth has ever been. But the account here is clear in letting us know that it was not because of sin that the attack came upon him. Now, some sickness, as we mentioned a minute ago, and some uh, difficulties can come because of sin. If we make stupid choices, if we make sinful choices, God will allow those natural consequences to occur. He told his people in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26, if they obeyed his voice, they would not be put under the diseases that they had experienced in Egypt. So he tells them, if you live right, uh, you won't have those illnesses. So sickness can result of unconfessed sin in our lives if you make a foolish choice not to hear his voice and make choices that are against his plan. But sickness can also come simply because we choose not to take care of ourselves. <laughs> if we allow things into our bodies that we know aren't good for us, illness can be the result. I mean, if you eat pizza and pickles and ice cream right before bed, my guess is you're going to be at least a little and probably a lot sick. But that's because you made a dumb choice. That's not because of anything else. It's just because you made a choice to do something to your body that your body couldn't tolerate. So God can bring illness into our lives because of our own choices. God can also bring illness into our lives so that he might get the glory from it. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh that he has. Uh, God allowed a physical problem to occur in Paul's life. And Paul saw that physical problem as a means whereby he could reveal his strength to Paul. And Paul grew closer to the Lord as a result of that. 
You know, folks, I'll tell you something. If you choose not to get close to God, he'll get you close. (laughs) If you won't get close to him yourself, God will find a way to draw you to him. And sometimes God takes illness or some difficulty to say, you know what? If you won't do this on your own, I'll pull you in. And God will use that illness, God will use that difficulty to force you to say, you know what? There is a God in heaven. I need to be more connected to him and draw closer to him as a result. Sometimes the only way God can get his children to draw closer to him is to put them flat on their backs with some illness or some injury or some other difficulty and they can't look anywhere but up. And then they're closer to him. Not every time someone is sick is because there's some sin in their lives or they're out of the will of God. There sometimes are real reasons for that that have nothing all to do with sin or God's will. Now, there are others who will also say, and Matt talked about this a little bit this morning, those who talk about every illness is being produced by demonic influence. So you've seen these fellows on TV. They cast out the cancer demon or cast out the sore throat demon or cast out the ingrown toenail demon, whatever demon might be, some demon being cast out. (laughs) Now, if you ever see that going on, if you ever watch a program or see some individual doing that, casting out demons like that, please understand one thing about that person. They are ignorant of Scripture. They don't know the Word of God. They've misread something along the way. Uh, They will believe that every illness is because of demonic influence and cast those demons out. If we keep look at Scripture and keep it in context, there is no verse anywhere in the Word of God that says that illness is because of sin or that illness is the result of demonic activity or occurs because some person is out of the will of God. There is no Scripture anywhere that says that. It may be that case but not necessarily we've seen many cases of illness in the word of god and only one of them had to do with sin job was attacked by the devil in a physical way but i want to make this point to you one more time so we don't miss it he was attacked by the devil without cause he was a perfect man who followed god and eschewed evil and he was still attacked god allowed that for his own purposes and god did his work through that thing There was no specific glaring sin in Job's life that caused it to happen. It just happened because God felt like it was the right thing for him to do. And God is always right. Now look at verse 9 as we see the chilling counsel that comes. The chilling counsel from verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Job's been through it all. He's lost his possessions. He's lost his children. He's lost his health. He sits in an ash heap covered with boils from head to foot, scraping himself with pottery. But Satan is not finished yet. You think there's no more that can possibly happen to him. Well, he's not done yet. He's not done yet. Because you see, what Job needs is encouragement. What Job needs is some tender word, some tender care from his helpmeet, the one that God has given to him, his life partner. And so he goes to her, he goes to seek comfort from his wife, and what does he hear from her lips when he asks comfort from her? She says, do you retain your integrity? Curse God and die. (laughs) What a blessing. (laughs) Just what Job needed to hear from his tender, caring wife, curse God and die. Now, I want you to see something about that. Look at what she says again. She says in verse 9, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? You see it? Go up to verse 3. 
And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect man, and a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God, and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity. That word came up when God confronted Satan with Job. God talked to Job, uh, Satan rather, about Job's integrity. And now along comes Job's wife, and she tells him to drop his integrity and die. Who do you suppose told her that? <laughs> Who was whispering in her ear and said, hey, tell him to drop his integrity? That was Satan himself. This is another satanic attack that, God is, that Satan is now using his wife to accomplish. When Satan couldn't get through to Job his way, even though he threw everything at him that he had, he makes a beeline for Job's weakest link, his commitment to his wife. And he whispers into her ear that it would be best for Job if he would simply renounce his integrity and die. Here's a sad truth, folks, and I want to make this clear to you this morning because you need to know this. I need to know this. In Satan's desire to defeat us, he will often work through those who are closest to us. Adam's wife tempted him to sin. Job's wife tempted him to sin. Peter, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, was used as an instrument of Satan right after he confessed that Jesus Christ was the son of the living God. Here again we see Job as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ because as much as Job suffered, as much pain as he endured, it was nothing comparable to what Jesus Christ suffered as he hung upon that cross. Jesus Christ went through the scourgings and the beatings. He carried that cross up Calvary's hill and had spikes driven through his hands and his feet. He hung between heaven and earth with the weight of the world's sin upon him. What more could he possibly suffer? Well, in Matthew 27, verse 39, the Bible tells us, As he hung there, they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. The scripture tells us that the priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him. It tells us the thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. And then it tells us in another passage that all of his friends, his disciples, forsook him and fled. Jesus Christ hanging on that cross totally and completely alone. Nobody around, not even God himself. And when Satan wanted to get through to Jesus Christ, he attacked him with the people that had been closest to him, those who had been his encouragement and his support. And he does the same with Job. Don't be surprised, folks, if some of the attacks that come upon you come from those you trusted. Come from those you shared ministry with, those in your family, or those in your church. Satan will use whoever and whatever he has to use to destroy you. I have to believe the attack on Job from his wife was probably worse, rather every bit as bad, as the attack that Jesus Christ endured as he suffered on that cross. But I love the response of Job. What a man. What a man. Look at it. Verse 10 again. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. I fellas, I wouldn't do this, but Job called his wife a fool. <laughs> I would avoid that if I were you, but that's up to you. Just a little marital advice there. And then he says this. What? 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 Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? He says, you just want the good stuff. When all well and good, that's all great. When the bad comes, you want to curse God and die. Job did not understand why he was suffering, but Job did understand that God had placed him under this trial because of his own sovereignty. 
He may not have understood the trial, but Job understood God. And Job put his faith squarely in the sovereignty of God. Despite all the attack, Job never gave up on the belief. Please hear me, folks. God never gave up. Job never gave up on the belief that God is still good. And I have believers I've met who will reject that when something bad happens to them. How could a good God allow this? No, you start by saying, God is good, and he allowed this. <laughs> it's a whole different perspective. Because God is good. God is always good. God is always right. God always has control over every situation. And whatever occurs is directly under the control of the sovereign God. Job accepted what God gave him, both the good and the bad. And Job never once blamed God for his trial. I want to remind you of a verse, a very familiar verse to all of you. Romans 8.28. We know that all things. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We don't understand everything that goes on in our lives. We don't get it. But we must have confidence that God will take that thing and always use that thing for his good. But please hear me, that verse I just read you from Romans 8.28 is a conditional promise. And by that I mean God will work all things for good if we are firm in our love for him, if we are firm in our commitment to conform to his purpose. You see, folks, once you want the purpose of God, then everything else fits into place. Because once you want God's purpose, no matter what happens in your life, you are convinced that these things are happening to fulfill the purpose of God for you. If you are seeking God's will, all things work together for good. If you want God's purpose in your life, all things work together for good. If all you are seeking is God's will, if that's all you truly want, there is no other possible result than all things in your life will work for good. Do you want God's will for your life today? Is that what you're asking for? That whatever happens from this point on is directly in his will to draw you closer to him and conform you to his image. I believe the, the, the key to enduring trial, surviving trial, is where we put our focus. Because I'm going to tell you something. We are human, and when the difficulties come, our first response is to look around us. <laughs> what's going on here? What am I losing? What's happening here? What is, why is this occurring? And all those questions come because I'm looking here. <laughs> I need to look there. When you can get your eyes off this and look there, it all fits into place. It all smooths out. Now, I'm not saying it's an easy road. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is, when I get my eyes off this and look there, everything falls into place, and now I know there's a purpose, and God's work is being done. You see, folks, it's where you put your focus. Where are you looking today? If you're going through a difficulty this morning, where are your eyes? If I focus on my circumstances, if I focus on what I want, if I focus on my discomfort, if I focus on my plan, I'm going to struggle all the way through that trial. But I stay focused on the purpose of God. If I seek to do God's work in spite of the trial, in fact, with the help of the trial, God can use that trial to accomplish good in our lives and for the kingdom of God as a result. I want to say something to you this morning, and I hope you hear it right. If you're going through a trial today, or when you do, don't stop serving. Don't stop serving. Now, your service may change. It may be, have to take a different approach because of that, but don't stop serving. You see, folks, if you are flat on your back, you know what you can still do? You can still pray. <laughs> Absolutely, you can still pray. 
That is serving God. In fact, uh, that's one of the greatest things you could do. No matter what God puts you through, please don't stop serving. In fact, serve him the best you can, even more so. God will reveal things to you you'll never see any other way if you simply stay focused on him and continue to serve. Stay focused on the kingdom of God. God can use that trial to improve uh, what's going on around you and, and bring hope and help to the people who you come, have in contact with. Folks, God has a purpose. God's purpose is always good. Amen. Always. Always good. And I've got an advantage over Job today. What's my advantage? I got this book. Job had no written word from God. In fact, as we go through this, you're going to see that's what he asked for. Job, I wish you'd written me a book, Job says. I got it. I got it. And see, because I've got this book, when difficulties come into my life, the first place I need to go is not to some psychologist or not to some other knowing, wise person. I need to go to that book. And put my face in that book and read that book and God will show me what I need to know as I involve myself in the word of God. When I go through a difficulty, I may not understand why it's happening or what is occurring, but I can look to the word of God and find comfort there and the words that it gives to me. Turn to the book of Romans, if you would. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And look at verse 3. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Look at what it says now, folks. It's going to knock your socks off, but look at it. Paul says, not only so, but we, what's the word there? Glory in tribulations also. Why would we glory in tribulations? How can we possible, possibly glory in a tribulation knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. <laughs> Paul says, I glory in tribulation, because through that tribulation, I learn patience, and I gain experience, and I find hope through the trial I go through. Amen. We can't explain all the details, but we can see God's end, and we can see God's purpose and everything that he allows us to go through. So, his wife says to him, curse God and die. And he says, shall I receive good at the hand of the Lord and not receive evil as well? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Verse 11. We see Job's committed friends. Job's committed friends. Verse 11 says, now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came everyone from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none, did, none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Job had great material wealth. Job had great standing in the community. Job also had something else that money could not buy. Job had three good friends who came to help him in his time of need. Now, I realize, folks, that we go through this in the weeks ahead, we're going to see the harmful counsel these fellows gave to Job. But what I want you to see here this morning is at least they cared enough to show up. <laughs> at least they cared enough to show up. 
And the Bible tells us in verse 13, they sat down there and had swatched him and looked at him and spake no words to him for seven days. Why was that? Because his grief was so great. Because his grief was so great. One of the greatest mistakes that we make when somebody's going through a trial is we feel like we need to say something. That we have to give out some great words of comfort in their time, great words of encouragement as they're going through it, somehow to make everything okay. Well, I'm going to tell you something. In most cases, you can't make everything okay. It just doesn't work that way. And usually, if I take that approach, what I wind up doing is saying something stupid or something harmful, and the result is I don't help at all. What I've found over my years is this. Sometimes, practically most of the time, the only comfort that a person needs in the midst of their trial is just for their friends to be there. Just for family to be there. Just for folks to be around and be available. That's all they need. What they need is to know that somebody genuinely cares for them. And what is typical, that is not communicated through what we say. As Job here, a person going through deep trial is typically not in the mood to talk about it. (laughs) Typically, they can't absorb the words that are being spoken to them anyway. Caring can be communicated much more effectively just by being there, but just by letting the person know that you're praying for them, letting them know that you're available if they need anything, and by doing things for them without being asked. There is a skill that most believers need to learn, and I hope you won't take offense to this. It would greatly enhance the body of Christ if believers would learn this skill. Don't take offense. The skill of learning to shut up. I mean that in the most holy possible way I can say it to you. (laughs) We just need to learn the skill of keeping our mouths shut. That is a skill that provides comfort and support to those who are in need simply by being available, just as Job's friends did. Because I'm going to tell you, when people are going through a great difficulty, they don't need great swelling words of comfort. They just need you to be there. Just be available. That will speak more words than anything else ever could. Now, verse 12 is an amazing verse. It gives us an idea of how intense Job's trial was. Look at that verse again. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not. This was a friend of theirs. They knew Job intimately. When they got to that place, it says there, they didn't even recognize him. His physical condition, combined with all the grief he had experienced, had changed his appearance so much that his close friends couldn't even tell that it was him. Now, hold that thought, and I want to read your verse. Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 14, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ as he hung upon the cross. That verse says, as many were stonied at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. We get this picture because we see the artwork and so forth, and we see Jesus Christ hanging there, and we see this, you know, this, this Glowing picture with the sunrise in the background, all sorts of stuff going on. Now, let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ hung upon that cross, with all they had done to him physically, and then carrying the weight of the, world, of the sin of the world on his shoulders, when you looked at him on that cross, he didn't look human. That verse tells me his visage was marred more than any man. You couldn't even tell what he was. As he hung upon that cross, folks, as he hung there, his visage, his form was not even like a human being. This was no ordinary criminal being punished on a cross, folks. This was the sinless, perfect Son of God, the King of Kings, enduring eternal, in, 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 eternal intense suffering, enduring eternal 
conflict, doing all that inside, on the outside, for you and for me. As Job sat there that day, they looked at him and couldn't tell he was human. That's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. Please hear me. Don't ever lose what Jesus Christ did for you. Don't ever lose that picture. Don't ever think that it was just some common thing that happened. He put his body on the line and his soul on the line for you. So much so that they couldn't even recognize him. Because of your sin, because of my sin, that's what he did for us. Job's friends provide another picture for us as well. They give us another picture of the time of the tribulation. We saw, see here that they sat there for seven days. And that seven days gives us a connection to the time of the great tribulation that the Jews will go through after the rapture of the church. Revelation tells us there are going to be three figures who will persecute the Jews, just like three friends here. Uh, the, the false prophet and the Antichrist or the beast and the devil himself. And at first, the beast and the false prophet will appear to be ambassadors for God. They'll do great wonders and signs, actually doing the work of the devil himself, used to bring persecution upon God's people. Uh, Job's three friends here have the best of intentions as they sit with him that first day. We're going to see as they begin to examine him and look at what they have to say to him, we're going to find they actually become tools of the devil and increase his misery. 99% of what they say to Job is going to be true. Just enough air mixed into it to weaken Job and bring him to the point where he almost gives up. And I want to say something to you as we wrap up this morning. And I want you to hear me, please. This is serious business. It is Satan's goal to destroy you. That's what his goal is. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, his goal is to destroy you. However he can do it. He'll bring things into your path. He'll bring people into your path. He'll do whatever he can to tear you down and make your life fall apart. Now, maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there now. Maybe you'll go through it in some time in the future. Maybe you know somebody who's going through it right now. Uh, their life has taken a sudden turn for the worse. No matter what the circumstances is, the strength to handle it or the strength that others need to handle it is found at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where it's found. If you don't know him as Savior, you have no help whatsoever when trials come. You're all on your own, uh, going through that all by yourself. But Jesus Christ is ready and willing to save you if you'll put your faith and trust in him. And he'll be your strength then when the difficulties come. Now, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, he's giving you the strength you need to get through it. You say, no, he hasn't. Oh, yes, he has. <laughs> yes, he has. You say, I haven't found it. That's not his fault. It's there. When difficulties come, he gives you the strength that you need uh, to do it. He's giving you the resources available to get through whatever it is you're going through. Listen to me. Sabaka, hear this. You might get benefit from this as well. This is for me right now. When you go through that trial, don't rely on yourself. Don't look to you and to your abilities and to your skills and to your wisdom to somehow figure this thing out. Every time I do that, I make a mess of it. Every time. You see, what I need to do, and I would suggest what you need to do as well, is when those difficulties come, or if you're in one right now, don't try to figure the thing out yourself. Don't try to have some other believer figure it out for you. Just go to the Word of God and ask the Spirit of God and ask for God's wisdom and say, Lord, I just want your will. I'm going to walk through this thing and you lead me every step of the way. And if you will do that, you'll get out the other side just like God wants you to. 
But if you do it yourself, your path's going to be all over the place. Now, you may wind up at the same spot at the end, but my, it's going to take you much longer to get there. And it's not, not reasonable. It's not necessary. If you will trust him and look to his resources, God will give you God will give you everything you need to survive the trial. Everything. Everything. There's not one thing that you'll need that he won't give you if you'll look to him for it. But you've got to look to him for it. So, is your life falling apart? Or are there people in your sphere of influence that are all having lives that are falling apart? I want to remind you one more time, folks, there is no trial outside of his control. There is no trial that God can't use to make us more like Jesus Christ if we simply stop trying to manage it ourselves and allow him to take us through it. There is no trial you'll go through that is beyond his strength to pull you through. He is available for you, not earthly help, but heavenly help. Our hope, our help is found in Jesus Christ. That one who is able to relieve your pain and give you hope in the midst of your trial. Praise God for the saving grace of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Let's pray.